Trust the Lord with these things as he becomes more and more of our foundation of life and understanding. Um, and this is done through God's words, through prayer, through counseling, through trusting friendships, and, and more. Um, and again, fear can be a, a very complex thing to dig through, and it doesn't die easily. So we really are just kind of scratching the surface of the whole idea, or maybe just scratching around to find the surface of the whole idea in some regards. Um, to me, the largest crime, one of the biggest crimes of all humanity is when something bad happens to you and strikes fear in you and that moment was so big that it, it basically takes over your soul and becomes the foundation from which you filter everything and understand everything. So your life begins to be lived in reaction to a tragedy um, instead of a response to the Holy Spirit. That's right. And it's so much easier, you know, it's easy to say these things, but when you're living there, it's no picnic. It's not fun at all. And last week, I was, you know, I kind of prefaced these different ways that fear grabs us, and I prefaced each one with, you know, uh, a lot of our friends and our families and our husbands or wives see these things in us, uh, but are afraid to go there often. And there's lots of reasons for that. And so, I, you know, it's like, well, nobody wants to talk to you because, <laughs> right? Because uh, part of the, the crime of fear possessing your soul as your fundamental element of understanding is that it becomes kind of a, something we rely on, almost a friend, a, a place of comfort, and a place that we end up curiously over time defending in some ways to try to hold on. And so it's, it's just a stinking tool of evil and our flesh that wants to grab the very foundation of Jesus from us and replace it with some sort of fear. Um, and as I've worked in my life to find words and emotional and intellectual handles for dealing with fear, just, just lately I've come to the understanding that largely for me, my fears take one of two paths. Uh, one is I'm afraid that something is going to happen that I don't want to happen. Two, I'm afraid that something is not going to happen that I do want to happen. Now, those things work in my life, the past and the present and the future. So enter in whatever it is you're afraid of. Bam. So say... You know, for me, I've done some heroically stupid and selfish and harmful things in my past, right? Now, I'm afraid that somebody might know about those things who doesn't know about them, right? So I don't, that might happen and I don't want it to happen. 
right? Because now all of a sudden that, that scab is pulled off and here we go again. I'm going to relive all of that stuff again. I don't want to relive that again. I mean, I've worked hard to get past those things and worked hard to not live in fear of those things. And I've worked, worked hard to surrender those broken pieces of my soul to Jesus so that instead of me becoming the foundation or the fear that, that was at the root of some of those bad behaviors uh, is no longer possessing me at my core. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen, brother. Okay. So my work is to trust that whatever happens or doesn't happen is going to be okay or it's not going to be okay. Uh, either way, the Lord is in it and will make himself known in a deeper way. God will be glorified in it, Amen. even if it's dark and gloomy and terrible and, you know, if it costs me everything. Oh, hey, okay. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've started at um, physical, financial, emotional, spiritual zero more than once in my life. And uh, God has proven himself faithful every time, right? And what happens every time that happens? You just get a little bit more humble. And a little less like, oh, I know what I'm doing. And a little bit more, oh, God. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, either way, the Lord's in it. And I'm going to know him deeper. I'm going to grow in him and therefore in my gospel identity. Uh, and whether or not I like the situation. So I'm learning to withhold judgment and let things play out and try to trust the Lord with the way things are shaping up. That's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It is. Because there's that sense like of like, I, I can't, I can't control this. It just has to happen, right? I mean, my my poor future, possibly future, uh, son-in-law, boyfriend, kid. Um, like, I, I really wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to control that situation really bad, right? And I wanted to take responsibility for it, right? Because in past uh, Christian environments, his injury would have been my fault, even though I wasn't at the handlebars of his bicycle, right? But it would have been my fault, and I would have been persecuted for something that happened to me. And so I, that's a fear, right? I'm like afraid of that. So I have to fight that in the moment. I gotta go, okay, this happened. I can't control it. It's just playing out before, you know, when you see somebody going, oh, it, you, and you can't reach out and like, you know, catch him. I can't be the cushion, but it just happens. And you gotta go, okay, I got nothing here except trusting in Jesus in this moment. What's going to happen? And by the way, God answered our prayers hardcore in this situation. Hardcore, right straight up. It was a brilliant thing. But, you know, so awkward meeting his parents for the first time. <laughs> you know, over the near death of their son. It's like, this is, this is great. But yeah, yeah, hi. Yeah, it's my fault. Uh, but what was really cool is... Um, they stopped by on their way back, and um, we got to hang out, and we got to pray together, and it was brilliant. And the Lord absolutely answered our prayer for him. Amen. Absolutely. One-to-one. -one. 
beautiful thing. So, in a sense, it was really good time to be his parents. <laughs> because we got, to, we got to seek God together. We got to see God work. But none of us could control it, right? We could still be afraid. And I, everybody, I mean, I'm not saying ever to not be... We, we're always afraid, right? You can't control that a lot, but what, it's how do you walk in it? How do you walk through it? What do you do? And we know all these principles we've been pulling from other things that we've been learning over the years, right? Jesus is in the darkness. He's in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. He's in all the places where we can't see anything, right? He's the one who's got the infrared goggles on. He can see in the dark. I can't see in the dark, right? But, and he's got all the ammo and guns that are going to need for everything. He's got it. And the med kit. He's got it. And so, for us to go, okay, Lord, right now the fear is coming over. I feel it. I feel like I'm going to maybe be drowned with it today. And then we go back to some of these things that we know. Ah, Jesus, you're here. Okay. Like you, so you stand up a little straighter. And then you go, oh, yeah, remember, just because I feel it doesn't mean I have to go with it. Oh, okay. Uh, I have the God of the universe who's, who speaks and everything changes. Here, here, here. So I call, I pray, I read, and all of a sudden things start to move and change. And God does some miraculously cool things and where I would have been completely melted with fear before... I now, at least I can crawl. Amen. At least, right? I can, I can, under the barbed wire, at least I can crawl. And that's a little bit better than being completely paralyzed. And so maybe next time I can get up on my knees and hands, right? Maybe, you know, it is so incremental. And I really want to get away from the all or nothing thing, right? You got the victory, brother? Yes, I do, but I'm figuring it out, right? It's like I'm a baby, and I'm learning to walk, Amen. right? So, I'm learning to actually live within the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 thing, which says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Just put, can we just can we agree to substitute for the moment fear? Lean not on your own fear, because that's what you understand in the moment. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Oh, slow, agonizing, beautiful, and, and miraculous. Um, Dr. E. Stanley Jones wrote something on this that I thought would be worthy of reading. It says, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. Amen. 
We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. And to live by worry is to live against reality. Ah. The only thing that conquers fear is faith in the Lord. My only addition is I would substitute faith for trust because to me, faith, the opposite of, of fear is trust. It makes more sense to my brain. All right, I'm going to ask Don to come up because Don has uh, something cool for us, a great visual on how this goes. Give me a second to get this thing uh, into gear here. You want to just use this one, Don? So, um, I'm Don. One of the great things about being in the fire service is um, they give you lots of opportunities to confront your fears. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, at Fire Academy, nothing is um, required. Everything's optional. So, uh, everything's on, a, on schedule. And you have the Christmas tree uh, prop that you go through on a particular day. And so, you have a choice. Okay. Tell me when. Okay. Um, you want to just play it behind you? Yeah. yeah go ahead. Oh, this, this is what that is. Um, the guy in the yellow helmet, I believe, is the only guy that really knows what he's doing. <laughs> All the rest of these guys are trusting him to keep them safe. This is called the Christmas tree. It is a uh, arrangement of pipes and valves. It's the above-ground portion of a gas or liquid petroleum pipeline. Because it's above-ground, it can catch on fire and will. You can feel this heat from about 100 feet away. Uh, you would not approach this because fear would say you are not going to survive it. Uh, in this process, you're learning to trust your nozzle. These are um, a special <laughs> nozzle that puts out this fan that actually uh, blocks the heat. The closer you get, there's a vortex right here, yeah. and it, it sucks those flames within inches of your fingers and with about a foot from your face. Whoa. What you're doing is you're getting close enough so the guy that knows what he's doing can reach down here and turn it off. Uh, just putting that flame out would be the most dangerous thing you could do because you still have the live gas that's coming out, and it can reignite by the, the heat from the, the metal there. You're learning to use tactics and tools to overcome a foe that you couldn't do otherwise. And so, um, like I said, you didn't have to do this, but if you choose not to, that's the end of your firefighting career because they send you home. So you're motivated to do it. Otherwise, you go, I'm going to call in sick today. So at this point, you can scream as loud as you want to the guy next to you, and he can't hear you because of the noise of the water flow and the gas that's coming out of these pipes. But you can see how close they are, and they're being completely protected. They are trusting those uh, nozzles and the water flow to keep them safe. And he's going to reach down here. This guy's really the one that's got the, the courage, and he turns it off. So you do something like that, but I wanted to make a couple comments. Um, we started talking about fear, and we thought we were done. 
And, uh, but fear is a really complex topic because it's positive and it's negative. Um, there's rational fear, which is really good, keeps us safe. And there's irrational fear that will enslave us or keep us from doing things that we need to do. Um, healthy fear and unhealthy fear. And as Christians, uh, it's great because we have the tools that we need to determine the difference between these two. Why? Because we have someone we can trust unequivocally. Not, nobody or nothing in this world is 100% trustworthy, but God is. And so um, just as we put ourselves into this situation on purpose so we can learn the, how to use the tools that we have and the strategy that makes things work, God allows us to get into situations such as trials that will test those areas of our fear. And what Dane is saying about the incremental process is so important um, because sometimes just upright confronting your fears is, is a bridge too far. It's a step too high. But God will give us those opportunities to take little steps. Like, I hate getting up in front of people and talking. <laughs> yeah. And so this is two weeks in a row, so we got to stop this. <laughs> So, one of the things, if, if you notice, as those guys are fighting that fire, right, they're taking baby steps, mm -hmm. right? And look what happens as they start to confront that fire. The fire heads right back, aims at them, right? So, the, the, the thing is, when you're confronting your fear, right, tools, strategies, knowing that it takes baby steps and knowing that it's going to come right back and try to kill you. Just like that fire gets sucked into the vortex of the very thing that should be extinguishing it. So, great picture. <laughs> this really works. All right. <clears throat> okay. Now, let's look at <clears throat> uh, what Pops brought up last Sunday. Fear of the Lord. Now, most of the talk of fearing God is in the Old Testament, but there are references in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament word for the most used for fear is a feminine noun meaning fear. The word usually refers to fear of God and is viewed as a positive quality. This fear acknowledges God's good intentions as in Exodus 20, 20, when Moses said, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you uh, to keep you from sinning. Um, it will motivate and delight even the fear of the Lord even motivates and delights Messiah in Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from its roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This fear is produced by God's word in Proverbs 2, verse uh, 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, 
Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Fear of the Lord makes a person receptive to wisdom and knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's even identified with wisdom in Job 28.28. He said to the human race, fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord uh, can even be lost uh, by despair in one's own situation. And Job writes in 6, 14, 15, if anyone who holds kindness, withholds, excuse me, kindness from a friend, forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. Or even the envy of sinners can steal this fear of the Lord. He says, don't let your hearts, in Proverbs 23, 17, don't let your hearts envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Um, this fear restrains people from sin and gives confidence. In Proverbs 14, 26, who, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord helps rulers and causes judges to act justly. In 2 Samuel 23, 3, the God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, then he rules in fear of God. Uh, Fear of the Lord results in good sleep. (laughs) Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The one who rests content then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Um, with humility, um, the fear of the Lord leads to riches and honor and life. In Proverbs 22, 4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And now in the New Testament, the word for fear is phobos. It's where we get phobia. From but in the New Testament Greek it means to it means fear or terror or reverence or respect or honor. Um, it's used of being uh, it's used of fear as in being afraid, but also in a moral sense, fear and reverence, respect and honor of God or Christ, the fear of God or the Lord, meaning a deep and reverential sense of accountability to God or Christ. Um, and so first, uh, Peter tells us a little bit about this it says live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor slaves in reverent fear of God. Submit to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Uh, Paul in Acts uh, 9.31 talks about uh, the church living in fear of the Lord. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul writes again, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Uh, What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. In 2 Corinthians 7, He says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence, that's the same word, out of fear for God. 
Um, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the same word, out of fear of the Lord. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, dear friends, if you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to do the work to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we know that though the same word is used for fear in the sense that we talked about last week, um, and in the sense of the fear of God, it cannot mean the same thing in those two applications. Because the same God who said that we are to fear him said this in John 14, 25 to 27. Jesus saying, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And then in 1 John 4.18, we read this. There is no fear in love, and God is love. But perfect love drives out fear, and God is perfect love. Because fear has to do with punishment. But no one who fears, but the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then Jesus brings us all together. He brings the old, the new. He brings that the fear of God. And, and well, we'll get to this in a minute. In Luke 12, this is so good. Because Jesus does what Jesus does, right? He makes sense of all these things to us. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so, there were, uh, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Uh, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body is killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Now, most of us, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, but who are, uh, most of us who are boomers and older, this is our orientation to God. Be afraid of God who can throw your sorry rear end into hell. So you should live as though you're always on the edge of being thrown into hell, right? Now, if you're younger than the boomer generation, this is kind of a foreign concept to you. Because God is not like that, right? God is love and would never do that. And so it's a different generation. We have different work to do to understand this, depending on where you're coming from. Does that make sense? Okay. So, he says... This is, oh, Jesus is so cool. Oh. He says, fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. And then he says this, write, write the same sentence. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, don't be afraid. 
you're worth more than many sparrows. Amen. Is that so rich? Fear God who could throw you into hell, yet you're worth so much more. Amen. Oh my gosh. He covers it. Right? So now we get this idea that fear of God is not the same kind of fear as that we were talking about last time. It's wholly different. Holy, H-O-L-Y, and W-H-O-L-L-Y. Different. Now, um, Martin Luther struggled to understand this, and he wrote about this. Uh, and he found that there was two kinds of fear in his reckoning. One is servile fear. It's the kind of fear that a prisoner in a torture chamber has for his tormentor, the jailer or the executioner. It's that kind of dreadful anxiety which... Uh, in which someone is frightened by the clear and present danger that is represented by another person. Or it's that kind of fear that a slave would have at the hands of a malicious master who would come up uh, with and whip and torment the slave. Servile refers to a posture of servitude toward a malevolent owner. And Luther distinguished between that and what he called filial fear drawing from the Latin concept which, in which we get the idea of a family. It refers to the fear that a child has for his father. In this regard, Luther is thinking of a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father or mother and who dearly wants to please them. He has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one that he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or even punishment, but rather because he's afraid of displeasing the one who is in that child's world, the source of security and love. I think Luther was on to the thing that Jesus was telling his disciples right there, right? Fear the God who is still keeping count of the hairs on your puny skull. The God who is so powerful, who holds your very life in his hands, yet loved you enough to die for you and cares about your hairstyle. <laughs> I think the church has had trouble with this, right? Like I alluded to before, either God is an angry tyrant wanting and waiting for you to step out of line so he can squash you like a bug, or he's your little pocket buddy, your little furry little go-to good luck charm that you bring out whenever you need a favor. The truth is, uh, God is both judge and lover. His love is fierce and pointed at you. Yet he is gentle and comforting and understanding at the same time. Ultimately, he's God. Infinitely power. And if, he, uh, if he's had enough, could and would smite everyone that was just a least little bit unholy. And, and though he's completely holy and righteous, he's also completely loving, gracious, and merciful. This is a conundrum for us, right? Because we are side takers. Right? We want to take one side or the other. Either, either he's a smiter or he's a lover. He can't be both, but he is. And, and that's, that's what Jesus said, right? Fear the one who can throw your soul into hell yet gently brushes your hair and counts each one. 
because they're that important to him, or whatever's left. <laughs> I'm easy on the Lord. <laughs> one. <laughs> Same one. <laughs> He's nice, he counts them as two. Uh, but the, isn't that an interesting thing, right? This very God who has this authority and the ultimate purity and holiness that, that anything that's less than complete righteousness cannot exist in the presence of is, is in a sense, brushing your hair and counting the hairs on your head. I don't know if you, you know, girls do, have, you know, when you're young and you're brushing each other's hair, it's, it's very soothing and very like, oh, brush my hair, mommy, you know, or it's, it's a very intimate time, but that's, that's what the picture is being painted here. Now, my best human example of this was my dad, believe it or not, um, and my dad's been, he's passed away for a, a long time, uh, and I don't think I've made more of him after he's gone than he was. I'm actually beginning to understand, unfortunately, way after the fact, who he was now. But probably one of the least flawed humans that I've known, to be honest with you. Um, and there was, you know, he, he was strong physically and strong of character and would kick our butts when we needed it, but loved us so completely that he sacrificed so much and created so much for us as kids and for our family. He was the absolute master of making something out of nothing. We didn't know that we were lower middle class kids because we always had cool stuff, you know? And dad was always helping us out. He was always with us and working it and, and, and doing stuff and working Tons of overtime to make ends meet, but never, never not loving us, never, never not being involved. Um, and I, I never wanted to disappoint him because I knew, at the same time, that how much he loved me and that he could end my life in a second. <laughs> and there are, <laughs> believe me, there are plenty of times where he should have ended me, but he didn't. And because he knew that I was more than my worst moments. And so it is with our God. Infin infinitely strong and wise. With life and death in his hands. And eternity thereafter in his judgment. That being so, Jesus so loved the world. Or God so loved the world in Christ that he gave his one and only son that whoever would put their faith and trust in him, would not in fact die, but live in eternity with him, starting right now. Now us of the older ilk are typically aware of God's authority and power because we come from a time period where strength and power were esteemed in a person and in a nation. And those of, those of us, um, though, who are post-boomers are typically more aware of God's gentleness and friendship. It's different, right? Us boomers lament the day when strength and grit were what, what made a man, right? And, and toughness and stoicness and all that kind of stuff. But the younger generation, that's not their idea. They get more of the gentleness and the, and the, 
the mercy and the grace side of God's character. Um, the olders are learning of God's kindness and gentleness and his walking along with us, while the youngers are discovering God's power and might and his holy righteousness. God's character, by the way, is not affected by either one's particular bent. Um, and like a good dad, God is both absolute and sacrificially loving. So may we say with Solomon, he wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, after his whole search for something that meant something in life, he says, now all has been heard. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Now, uh, may we be in awe of God's power and might and holiness and righteousness and judgments and keep his commandments. Uh, which Jesus gathered up into one, by the way, for our convenience. John 13, 34, a new command I give you. Love one another, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by the way, the word duty in most uh, translations is added for clarity. It's not in the original. What it should say, it should say, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is everything for mankind it's it, the word means everything the whole the entirety we could say it this way fear god and keep his commandments for this is the everything the whole the entirety of mankind isn't that sweet and so when we think about this concept of fear right we have things we're afraid of we know that fear often supplants Jesus's place at the foundation of our guts. And we know how destructive that can be over time, and we know how annoying and frustrating it can be because we'd never make any progress moving forward because fear is a harsh taskmaster. But we also know that there's another side to fear, and that's that awesome respect of a God who is both absolute and incredibly gracious and loving at the same time so maybe we can begin to say more and more with uh, Solomon that we ought to fear God and keep his commands for this is the everything the whole and the entirety of mankind Amen. I'll see that hand <laughs> <laughs> nah.